Welcome to episode 270 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. For our topic this week, we're going to chat about the new Department of Homeland Security Cyber Infrastructure Defense Organization, which is entitled the National Risk Management Center, and it's going to start coordinating efforts to prevent hackers from targeting things like America's power grid, importantly, the uh, electoral system, the election system for the midterm elections, healthcare, other power infrastructure, things like that. So I thought it was an interesting move for Department of Homeland Security to to start this sort of public-private partnership. I think the way it's structured, the um, Department of Homeland Security is going to staff this uh, National Risk Management Center with experts who are then going to be working with private companies who would then let the center know that they're experiencing some kind of cyber attack. They're also going to embed some of these experts within companies. So so it's going to be a very much this hub and spoke model of um, cybersecurity with both public and, and private people involved. And the reason I find that interesting, I, I feel like it's, it's a good idea. I kind of wonder what other efforts along this, uh, this line have been made before. It seems, you know, on its face to be a great idea to me. And I think it starts to raise the level of awareness from a public discussion standpoint that we are really in a new era when it comes to, you know, we talk about the digital life every day, but there is also this cyber warfare, uh, which is just an ongoing threat and ongoing difficulty um, and it is diffuse, it is constant, it is dangerous, and it is creeping into all kinds of aspects of our lives. So before I go into my uh, rant on this, Dirk, what were your impressions of this announcement, the uh, structure of it, uh, the, the general approach? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of layers here. Um, first, it is, I think, in this day and age, important for at the national level to have significant investment in cybersecurity and to be thinking about it across a broad spectrum, including those covered by this program. So uh, the fact that it's being thought about and something is happening sort of, you know, at the macro level, I think is a necessary thing. And, you know, I don't have any insight into what was or wasn't happening before or in addition to this program. So I don't know if my feeling should be, thank God, finally, right. or, okay, you know, yeah, this is just sort of a, a small extension of, of good things that were already happening. Um, but something should be happening. So I'm glad something is, even though I don't know if this is the right thing or not. Um, the, the fact that it's sort of centered in the Department of Homeland Security, uh, you know, look, Homeland Security has been around for about 15 years, uh, came out after 9-11. And certainly in the early days, there were a lot of concerns about human rights abuses. Um, my impression of Department of Homeland Security as someone who hasn't studied it, but as a citizen observing it through, through the media, 
um, is not positive. But that's now old, right? I mean, I don't know how Department of Homeland Security has changed. I know a few years ago, there was a whole fight in Congress where um, the Republicans, to try and get their way, were going to defund part of the Department of Homeland Security, which seems opposite to my impression of it being, um, you know, sort of a hawkish, you know, Republican um, initiative. So I don't necessarily know what's going on with that organization at this point, but my it, sort of my mental model of it now going back a long time is not not a great one. So take that for what you will. I think it's very interesting that they are integrating so deeply with corporations to the point of, as you mentioned, having their employees, having their team members embedded into corporations. You know, that, that starts to get into sort of delicious uh, sci-fi territory for me. Yeah, I, that, uh, that could, you know, have sort of uh, positive or, or negative effects. I wonder, um, I mean, the, the way it's been characterized in the news is that DHS employees will be assigned to specific companies to work with them. So that's what I meant by embedded. So I don't know if that means they'll be on site. And, you know, certainly in this day and age, you don't need to be on site anywhere to be, you know, part of an organization. You can uh, obviously be a remote employee. So that will be interesting to watch that play out. I think the larger narrative here is important because I think as much as cybersecurity is in the news, I think we're largely ignorant of the ebbs and flows of cyber attacks in the United States, only understanding it when it's an inconvenience or when it's a political issue. So inconvenience, a uh, perfect example of this is uh, last year, Netflix and some Amazon Web Services were taken down by a denial of service attack, which I believe was traced back to a Chinese botnet. And there is a New England-based firm that basically handles a lot of the internet traffic and uh, their servers were, were hit with this denial of service attack. And so everybody all of a sudden paid attention because you can't watch your movies anymore, right? So your life is disrupted in some small way. Yeah, when our government gets attacked, that's not important. But boy, if, if I can't watch uh, you know, some, some little TV show, oh my God, it's time to march in the yes, streets. Right? It's binging, man. You, if you can't binge, what are you going to do? So that made news for a while. And now, you know, as we're starting to begin to understand sort of the levels of disruption, misinformation campaigns, and just sort of uh, news items that are that are not real, uh, that sort of populate our social media spheres, um, as we're becoming more aware of those uh, targeted activities, we're starting to understand really what it means to live in a digital world and have our thoughts and our day-to-day -day lives sort of influenced by that. More specifically, we've migrated certain aspects of our day-to-day -day conversations, contacts, important information, our memories, even our photographs, our, our writing, all of these things we've migrated piece by piece online. And as we've moved into this new territory, I think we've sort of naively assumed that we could either sort of trust that uh, whatever mechanisms we're using, like that the doors are locked and the windows are closed and, you know, it's, it's a safe place to go. And, you know, I don't think we've ever really faced up to the fact that 
there's lots of bad actors and that were exposed. And this sort of goes across what we're considering, you know, expanding this digital footprint, uh, especially with the Internet of Things and the sort of smart cities, right, for regulating everything from municipal services to traffic flow to you name it. Uh, we're creating all these points of entry into our lives, into our physical lives, because you're, now you're driving a car through an intersection, right, that might mm-hmm. be regulated by some IoT-enabled traffic system, right? So that is an attack surface. We've created a digital double of our traffic in cyberspace, and now that is just a place that can be uh, that can be attacked. And there's, you know, sort of any number of ways to create mischief or, you know, real, uh, real damage. And then, you know, of course, we talk on the show a lot about automated cars, self-driving cars. Once again, plenty of attack surfaces there. So this discussion of, it's almost as if we are still, as much as we've digitized our lives, we are still very much naive about the ability to protect that digital life um, and we've left ourselves open both uh, you know locally and on a national scale i think that we are just seeing the very beginnings of our understanding as a a, a public of these issues and i think this conversation can't happen quick enough at least for me yeah, and I mean, a lot of it is there's no accountability. Uh, you know, companies are motivated by profits. They're not motivated by by safety first. Um, it's sort of profits first and then safety. You know, we want to be safe, but if it's too expensive or too slow or somehow interferes with our killing it, um, you know, <laughs> then it's it's going to get short shrift. And and that's a systemic problem. I mean, that's a, a social problem around how our country is structured, how our value systems are structured and is at the core of all of this. I mean, if it was, if it was safety first, if you had to have things locked down to a certain degree before you could do anything, there would be a lot better security and there would be a lot less stuff. And we like our stuff, John, we love stuff. So stuff first and and safety last. Yeah, that's a, um, unfortunately, I mean, I, I, I recall, um, one of our discussions, Dirk, where you said, you know, in order to be safe, you just need to unplug it, right? So, so you're not going to have your computer hooked up to the internet if you really want to be 100% sure you're not, um, you're not exposed. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not rocket science, right? I mean, there's a reason why they call them computer viruses. So how are real viruses protected against? I mean, just think of the, the clean room model. Think of the steps that are taken in order for researchers and individuals to not be infected with viruses. Uh, the physics of that translate into cyberspace. And, and yeah, I mean, you, you, have to, you have to remove yourself. You have to save from yourself. You have to unplug yourself. But we don't want to do that, do we? Then we can't watch our, our Netflix, baby. Yeah, as much as we, as we all love Netflix, I think you hit the nail on the head there you know, in terms of identifying profit motive and cost as being uh, huge blockers in terms of creating this uh, safer and more sane infrastructure. I think there's going to be at least discussion of, hey, what, what do we need to do to rebuild, update, or otherwise make more secure 
the infrastructure services, both digital and, and you know, obviously we have physical infrastructure issues in, in the U.S. as well, but serious digital infrastructure investments that would at least, you know, shore up those systems so they're not able to be hacked in the same way as they are now. And just to reflect further, you know, this is somewhat dystopian and and feels feels far-fetched, but there have been uh, in the past couple of years attacks on Ukrainian power plants, for example, uh, you know, software cyber attacks that have, you know, shut those plants down for a period of time. So it is not out of the range of possibility that these things can happen. And, you know, whether that would just be a minor disruption or a long-term problem, I'm not sure, but it is not out of the realm of conceivability that we could be dealing with this stuff in, in a much more present way as cybersecurity becomes more of an issue as in the in the US. Yeah, yeah, and it is an area where, you know, just as citizens not involved in the government, it's hard to have an informed opinion because we don't really know what's going on as you pointed out earlier. It's it's similar to terrorism, you know, uh, you you periodically hear stories of oh, this terror threat was thwarted, that terror threat was thwarted. But there are a lot of, you know, quote-unquote terror threats, whether that's some sort of imminent attack or sort of fizzling out, um, you know, some kind of agent in the, in the nascent days. Um, but the stories we really hear about are the ones when there's an explosion or, or people are dead. Um, but those are the strong minority. And a cyber similar, like, we don't know most of what's going on out there in terms of attempted attacks, successful attacks, we hear less about successful cyber attacks than we do terror attacks because when something blows up and people are dead, it can't really be hidden. I guarantee you there's a lot hidden that's done behind the scenes in cyber attacks that we have no awareness of. So ultimately for me, I, I feel um, informed enough to talk about this as an important topic and one that should be an issue of national focus, but I'm ignorant. I don't know what's really happening behind the scenes and to what degree we're ahead of the curve or behind the curve or, or just sort of treading water. So it's interesting to talk about and sort of raise awareness to it. But whereas some things on the show we talk about, I feel like with some authority, I can make suggestions, recommendations. Uh, here, you know, I, I feel like a babe in the woods. And I'm, I'm just hopeful that, you know, the right decisions, the right level of investments, the right type of technology are being brought to bear in ways that I don't and, and even can't understand. Yeah, and I, you know, not for nothing, but uh, for a long time, Mac users were really in the minority of computer users. Now, since um, Apple has become the behemoth that it is now, there are a lot more users of, you know, Mac laptops and things like that. But another sort of aspect, at least if you're a user of, you know, MacBooks or or whatever, is that we've not been you know, hip deep in the the PC realm where there's a lot more deliberate attention paid to security. Like the Macintosh realm has always been such a small slice of the computing realm that I think for years we were isolated from just like the sheer volume of things that you needed to do to prepare your computer to make it safe to use. You know, every time I use a PC, I'm always astounded by the uh, sort of the inconvenience of, you know, a variety of security um, mechanisms. And not to say that we don't have those on the Mac as well, 
but I think that that's also colored my view of security just because I've never really been a PC user and uh, that's isolated me from the random virus uh, attacks and things like that. But now it, it feels like uh, neither Mac nor PC are safe. So um, I feel like that time of isolation is, is long past. I don't know if you feel the same, Dirk. I don't know. It sounds like early 20th century, like international politics <laughs> or the Teddy Roosevelt versus Woodrow Wilson doctrines are. Oh, yeah. please. I'm not that old. <laughs> I don't remember Teddy Roosevelt, just to be clear. Um, so, yes, we'll, we'll watch how the uh, Department of Homeland Security evolves this cyber center and uh, how this evolves at the, the risk, a national risk management center. Uh, and and see what comes of it. Good branding, by the way, John. National risk management. It's hard to not get behind that, right? Yeah, the acronyms are going to be astounding on this one. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we are mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com. That's just one L in the digital life. And go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everyone. So it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by GoInvo, a studio designing the future of healthcare and emerging technologies, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O dot com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at D Niemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 270 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time. Yeah.